welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. Today on Relay Chain, we have Paolo Arduino. He's the CTO of Tether and Bitfinex. Welcome to the show, Paolo. Thank you very much for having me, Joe. Yeah, so I want to start with like a quick background on you. You joined Bitfinex as a developer, and you worked on a lot of like the technical backend integration of the exchange. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your journey from starting as a developer to becoming CTO and kind of how this developed? Sure. So yeah, I joined Bitfinex as a part-time developer on the backend side in late 2014. My main role was focusing on uh, the matching engine. When I joined, the matching engine was doing thing, uh, something like 50 orders per second. And, uh, you know, Bitfinex was, was uh, a popular platform for crypto. And um, it also allowed margin trading. So if you handle so little orders per second, then the issue is that when there is high volatility, when there are liquidations, it becomes quite slow. My background is uh, in uh, scalable applications and um, and uh, decentralized applications. So uh, I joined to improve that part and also to bring uh, um, my my knowledge to other aspects of the platform like uh, web sockets integration, um, high performance APIs, and uh, you know streaming APIs because we had a lot of uh, market data to to offer to our customers. So. In uh, the first year, I focused mainly on um, on the matching engine, uh, so bringing from fifty to five thousand and then ten thousand uh, order per second was not great, of course, uh, but was already uh, multiple x of what we had, and um, then. Uh, I started focusing more on the platform in general on the backend side to move from a monolithic backend to a microservices based uh, backend. I'm a big fan of the book um, The Cathedral and the Bazaar from Eric S. Raymond that talks about how you should build modular and uh, microservices based architecture rather than uh, trying to create something that maybe from the outside looks beautiful, but then it's extremely complex. And if you take down one pillar, falls all apart. So I brought that that knowledge into Bitfinex and uh, it's uh, we, we moved from one, having one GitHub repository to now today we have more than 500 small repositories with all the small microservices and so on. So in 2016, Bitfinex got um, hacked and then the management decided to appoint me as a CTO in order to rework the entire security uh, and uh, bring the platform back up. So I, I did that uh, and then kept uh, and started building my own team that um, was then focusing both on backend and frontend. In 2017, I became also the CTO of Tether. Uh, also there, I mainly foc- start focusing on bringing Tether from Omni, that was the main and only blockchain, uh, that also the blockchain where uh, we started from, to Ethereum and then multiple blockchains as they we have, uh, I think, eight different blockchains that we support. That's actually interesting that you started out on working on like the the data engine and matching stuff because I got into crypto in I guess like I started going like more full time into crypto in like 2015 2016 and it was because my background was in time series analysis of shock and vibration for satellites and so I was very familiar with this and I, I was more interested at, at first in going into like 
normal stock markets, if you will, and found that a lot of the APIs and data was really either inaccessible or expensive to get access to. And uh, it was actually just a lot easier in, in the crypto world just to get access to some of these APIs and data and start hacking and tinkering and like start actually getting to go. So yeah, that you were kind of like one or two years ahead of me in uh, pushing that advancement. So that it was ready for me when I started going into it. Yeah, you said on an interview last year in April that you spend 90% of your time coding, even as CTO. Do you still do like a lot of coding? Yes, I, I do. I, I believe that um, as a CTO, if you lose your passion for coding, um, you would not be as effectual uh, as you instead if, if, if you keep uh, coding. So I, I like to, to build the backend uh, with uh, the premises that uh, I talk about of uh, microservices and, and so on. So um, the entire backend is now built on top of a uh, Grenache that is a DHT-based microservice system that is extremely simple, you think about it. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like BitTorrent for, for microservices. And um, so I, I, I like small things, modular things that everyone can take and build on top of that. So I still work mainly on um, the matching engine. I am almost the sole developer of the matching engine. And um, uh, although we have a great team that tests it and hammers it and as much as possible, and I'm uh, almost still focusing on the APIs, so the WebSocket and high-performance APIs. Uh, we are growing that team now, so I hopefully I will uh, mainly focus on the, on the matching engine because it's already a big burden to be working on. But um, yeah, I believe that uh, you cannot really understand as a CTO all the nuances and the complexities of your platform if you stop developing. Because yes, people can talk to you about those, can present you the issues in multiple ways. But uh, if you don't keep up with uh, you know, new technologies, with uh, developments of the, the ecosystem, you will eventually be a little uh, maybe slower and less effective in your work. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a CTO, but I agree that like when, when I'm kind of leading projects, you have to also be like at least spending some time in the weeds and really seeing like what's going on in the day to day and staying like up to date on, on what's happening in the code base. So. I could talk about like the the matching and, and all of this stuff all day um, because I, I think it's really interesting. But uh, we're mostly here to talk about Tether. So um, if you want to start, like it's one of like the longest running projects in blockchain. It launched in 2014, and I don't know, were, were you there when it launched, or um, did you come in to Bitfinex after? So I um, came to Bitfinex after and uh, Tether even after that. So. Um, yeah, Tether was launched in 2014 from a um, group of visionaries, I would say, because now the concept of stablecoin is uh, is used everywhere. We are seeing central banks talk about uh, stablecoins, regulators, everyone is talking about stablecoins. But in 2014, there was not such a thing. And uh, even more so, uh, something that was packed to the dollar and was using a blockchain as, uh, as a transport layer. And the reason why the Tether team uh, decided to create Tether uh, was to solve one problem that I'm sure you're familiar with, that is crypto arbitrage or arbitrage in general. Right? So if you if you are trading on a stock market, you you trade Apple, uh, you trade Apple USD, right? Really, you buy and sell Apple against the dollars. And um, you know the the thing is that in traditional finance, both stocks and money move at the same pace. So 
they are all in uh, in um, custodian banks in clearing houses and they have the, it, it's just numbers on databases so they will move at the same pace so it means that when you trade you trade a pair right and the pair is uh, composed by two currencies in in crypto you can think about BTC USD so you have BTC that's the first currency and USD that is the second currency so you want really to have um, the two currencies that are moving at the same speed between um, venues because if you do arbitrage, it means that you want to sell Bitcoin where the price is higher and buy Bitcoin when the price is, is uh, lower. But that means that you have to be able to sell Bitcoin on the, where the price is higher and get USD and move the USD when the, where the price is lower and, and use that to buy BTC. But then uh, if USD takes one day or five days, if you are doing an international wire, it, it gets crazy and you will lose all the opportunities. So this really simple idea was, well, why we don't create um, a dollar that moves at the same pace of Bitcoin? So Bitcoin was moving 10 um, one block every 10 minutes on average. So we looked for to use the same technology, almost the second the same technology to move dollars in within 10 minutes. So at that time there was only Omnilayer uh, that was available and um, allowed creating uh, assets, custom assets. So we started using that in 2014 and that is when the journey started. Yeah, so is that kind of like the main motivation for deploying on Omni was just to kind of match the pace of Bitcoin? Exactly. Well, there was there were not many uh, blockchains that allowed tokens, so issuing tokens. So Ethereum was not really there. So it, it started a little bit later than that. Um, so there was only Omni. Omni was also secured by the Bitcoin network, right? So you had that plus that is was important. So all the other, because one important thing in, in blockchain is that you don't want to issue an asset on top of a blockchain that is... Uh, uh, of which the value of the blockchain itself or the, the the core asset of the blockchain is lower than the asset that you are issuing. So we were secured by the Bitcoin network that was made the blockchain with the highest value. Yeah, and I think we'll get into that principle in a little bit while when we talk about deploying to other networks. I want to start talking about like the, the future of Tether. And just one thing I want to note is that the New York Attorney General just came out with a statement about like a week before we were recording this. And I don't want to kind of ignore the elephant in the room, but I think there are lots of other people who are like more qualified to discuss this and, and have more background information. And, and I just want to focus on like where I can add to the discussion, which is like the tech, the features, the, the new products that uh, Tether is launching. So I, I don't want to completely ignore the, the big story that's been in the media lately, but I just don't think I'm the, the best person to be adding anything to that. So um, I'm going to focus elsewhere. So if we start talking about like the, the future of Tether, since you guys launched in, in 2014, there's been a lot of other like stablecoin innovation that, that's come out. So like with um, DAI, these algorithmic stablecoins and, and USDC has come out lately. So what kind of like innovations do you see like amongst your competitors? And, and then like, how do you look at them and, and plan to stay competitive in, in the next couple of years? Sure. So um, you are completely right. There are m many new stable coins that have been created over over the years, especially after 2018, after the big uh, boom of Tether in uh, 2000, end of 2017 and beginning of 2018. 
we proved the concept. Because if you think about it, Tether until mid-2017 was not so big. Well, uh, in beginning of 2017 was around $100 million. And in the end was uh, almost $1 billion, if not exactly $1 billion. So uh, we proved the concept. We proved that uh, it's a valuable business and it's a great idea. And of course, this uh, this concept kept being proven till today when we are seeing more and more uh, competitors. So um, in 2018, I think, or end of 2017, also the star- die started it. And I believe that's a great concept. I believe that, um, say, crypto-backed stable coins are uh, a really good value added to the sector. Although I would prefer or have, would have preferred to not have uh, these stable coins adding uh, centralized stable coins because uh, Tether is a centralized stable coin because it's uh, uh, relying on banks uh, as USDC, as Paxos and so on. So there is a big, big differentiation between centralized stable coins and decentralized stable coins. So if uh, we do, uh, if you build a decentralized stable coin, you should not allow as collateral uh, at least in my opinion, a centralized stablecoin, because there is always the risk that eventually the size of the centralized stablecoin, just because of the liquidity that is available on a centralized stablecoin, will maybe eat the decentralized portion. So there is the risk that um, crypto-backed stablecoins become a proxy or as a derivative of a centralized stablecoin. So I don't like that much, honestly. Uh, I prefer, I would stay pure, and not allow centralized stable coins. Then there are um, things like uh, Amplifort. That is a really interesting concept. We are in good discussions with their team, i.e. They, they did the token sale on Bitfinex um, in, uh, oh, now it's two years ago. And they are a really interesting, um, they have a really interesting approach. They adjust the issuance based on the price. So the idea is that they will they maintain the peg uh, based on 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 the price, so they they use an oracle. So if the price is bigger than one, they increase the issuance on on chain. So really, there is more there's more inflation, so the price will go down. And if the price is below one, then they will do the opposite. They will reduce it, so the basically prorated price will will have eventually to go up, right? So it's a, it's a really good concept, and uh, although. Um, we're in discussion because uh, um, we are exploring how to possibly integrate something like that in an algorithmic tether. Uh, there are still some user experience uh, uh, discussions that also have to be solved because uh, um, creating or changing the issuance on chain is, is quite tricky also from a user pers- uh, experience perspective. So that is another uh, interesting point that, uh, so stable coin, that is another type of stable coin that, uh, that is worth mentioning. And what do you see, like, as far as the breadth of the market? So, like, there's kind of U.S. dollar pegged stable coins, but there's a lot of other assets that have, I guess, quote unquote, stable value at least relative to themselves, um, like euros or precious metals. Are, are you looking to stick like mostly in the USDT realm, or kind of branch out to other um, assets with the same or similar services? So uh, we launched USDT, and also we launched URT and CNHT. So um, we are looking to expand the offering on the fiat-packed stablecoins. The dollar is just a clear winner there. Uh, so the entire so Tether started from the crypto space, and the crypto space look at prices always in dollars. Of course, the more um, the industry will grow, 
we will see more euro adoption and possibly CNH adoption and maybe J- JPY. But for the moment, is still uh, dollar is uh, is still the predominant uh, currency in in the crypto world. So um, also there, uh, at least still one year ago, you had positive interests on on the dollar, so it was easier to maintain and, and more profitable to 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 use dollars as um, as the reserve currency. And while euro was had already negative interests, and the same uh, goes with uh, GBP and uh, and Swiss franc. So that that is the first reason. And also uh, with Tether, we issued Tether Gold, that is uh, pressured metal uh, backed stablecoin. And um, I believe this is one of the most interesting projects and has a really bright future. We are seeing an, incre- an incredible interest around uh, Tether Gold. So it started uh, uh, really fast. So we, 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 we started it from in 2020. And in this moment, uh, the uh, total market cap is already more than $150 million. And uh, we are receiving additional interest from, from funds that, that are invested in precious metals uh, naturally, uh, but they are looking towards a better way to hold the precious metals. Because also, as it happens in crypto, if you don't have your private keys, then you don't own your coins. But uh, the same applies with gold. If you are, if the vault is not yours, then the gold is not yours. So what we did with Tether Gold is to create, um, to work with uh, Swiss companies that would allow us to keep the gold that is being issued to Tether Gold owners into uh, these vaults. So we have full control and, uh, you know, to, to audit, to, to check that everything is in, or is, is in order and so on. So we have direct control over the gold. That That is not true for many gold token issuers where they rely on uh, the banking uh, system to keep custody of the gold. So I believe that our approach reduce or at least remove one hop between the customer and uh, effective uh, gold uh, storage. I guess I have a question operationally. I mean, we think that, you know, dollars move slow between banks because it can take one or two days to clear. When the orders come in for like Tether Gold, how do you actually like physically move gold to this vault? Like how is that kind of managed? The process is actually quite simple. So the gold price is fixed uh, a few times per day. So uh, when there is an order, the price is fixed and uh, the Tether Gold will request and to buy an additional quantity of gold so that then we can fulfill in few days the order of the customer. So is um, definitely is not the fastest process, but also it uh, so there is um there is a balance between speed there and the safety um, because, of course, the gold has to be delivered, has to enter the vault before we can actually issue the tokens. And that is really important. Also, I think that um, one thing that surprised me is that uh, when we decided to create Tether Gold, I thought, okay, now there will be a huge volume in Tether Gold against uh, USD or Tether Gold as against BTC. But something that really surprised me is that um, the customers that buy Tether Gold are really doing that to hold it. They keep it, they keep it as collateral, maybe on Bitfinex Day, or they keep it just on, on their Ethereum wallet. And um, they don't use it to trade it much. They, they just want to get exposure. And they just want to know that if things go um, south, 
they can request a redemption from and get um, it delivered in Switzerland. So the beauty of Tether Gold is that actually, if you have more than 430 ounces or tokens, really, you can get a redemption of a full bar because we usually use bars that are 12 kilos, 999.9 of uh, purity, and uh, uh, you can get the delivery wherever you want in Switzerland. And then from there, you can take it on. And we don't do international just because it just doesn't make sense, right? There is so much security, so much cost involved. So we do in Switzerland, and then it's, it's, it's your job to take it anywhere with your respecting the regulations that you have to respect. That's interesting, a, a connection between the blockchain world and, and physical world. So I'm just wondering, because you have kind of a lot of this infrastructure in place with like having like a euro, gold, uh, US dollar, and when Libra, now DM, was kind of like announced a couple of years ago. Uh, I've kind of lost track on the, the timeline there, but they were proposing basically like a basket of currencies, basically like a special drawing right type of thing. Have you thought about having something like that? That's like a managed basket or are you still focused more on um, individual assets? So I believe that the users prefer a stable value. So uh, it's quite harder to manage that to having a basket of currencies. You could ideally do that then using futures to hedge and maintain a peg. Uh, but it's it's a really uh, operational complex. So I think that that also was one of the mistakes that Libra made. So with the power of uh, Facebook behind um, their their shoulders, you really want to make sure that you can please the regulation where your main business in is in. Because Facebook and um, and Libra had. Uh, has a lot of power, so they can attract definitely a lot of uh, money into their banks. It means that they have uh, exposure to billions of users. So imagine a world where eventually uh, Libra gets to one trillion or uh, trillion dollars or three trillion dollars and so on ten. So it means that from one side, if you are the US, you will see part of the capital flow into other currencies. Uh, because you have to keep the, the pool balanced um, or the basket balanced. And if you are Euro or, or uh, Switzerland, you will see that, again, there is the risk that part of your asset were, uh, will flow to another currency to keep the basket balanced. So if the size was small, there, there is no, of course, no, no problem. But with the, that type of size, you, there is a risk of uh, on a, to have an impact on the FX markets, actually, if you do baskets. And you actually might piss off multiple regulators rather than just one. Yeah, so I guess that was a mistake they made of just drawing too many eyes to themselves, yes. maybe. And, and so like with that, with, with regulation, there's been a lot of changes in the last couple of years. Like a, a few months ago, one of the U.S. agencies ruled that banks could cross custody crypto assets. Like what kind of regulatory trends do you see and, and how are they affecting the stablecoin market? So um, stablecoins are uh, under uh, scrutiny of regulators and central banks. I think that um, uh, centralized stablecoins are using the banking system. So it's completely fair to see uh, regulators and central banks look into, uh, into it, both from a technological point of view, but also from a, an anti-money laundering point of view and so on, right? So if you're using a technology, if you're using uh, um, really the banking network, you have to respect the same standards. There is no other way around. So um, that is why, for example, Tether has uh, functions in order to, to freeze funds on chain to cooperate with law enforcement. 
we do it uh, quite openly. We communicate when we do. Also, we did that to help many projects. Uh, there was an exchange hacked, uh, I believe, more, more or less uh, six months ago or one year ago. I don't recall when. Uh, we helped them to freeze $30 million worth of, of Tether. There were many DeFi projects that were hacked and we, ha- we, we worked with law enforcement to freeze those funds. So uh, that is what hap- is happening in the banking world, right? So if someone steals funds from your bank account, banks have, the signatory bank has the right to freeze your funds if you, you've stolen funds. So we, we have we had to replicate the same the same functionalities in in our decentralized stablecoins. That is something that decentralized stablecoin should not have and don't need because they don't use the banking system. We do, and we have to respect that. So definitely, there is increased scrutiny, but also um, more um, there is scrutiny, but also there is a lot of collaboration. So most of the people think, okay, um, there are regulators will will regulate stablecoins. But what actually is happening is that um, both with law enforcement and regulators, we there is a lot of uh, positive talk. So they reach out, they, they, they we discuss, we discuss about uh, how this um, this entire industry works and and how we see that growing in the future and and, and so on. And of course, central banks are interested eventually to to use this technology to issue uh, a better version of uh, their already digital uh, fiat currencies because currently uh, fiat currencies are already digital so there are numbers on databases but um, here is the thing these databases are completely inefficient so uh, I, I before joining bitfinex and i, I come from um, traditional finance, finance world and i when i work with uh, hedge funds with banks was completely a mess trying to reconcile the numbers. So you had you, you were using tabbed text files uh, that were coming at midnight, and then you have to uh, reconcile numbers. There were errors. Then you had to contact the custodian, trying to understand where the error is coming from and so on. Imagine if you can use a blockchain that actually shows the same numbers and uh, does not have conflicts across all the different banking venues. That will save a lot of money, uh, energy, time to everyone will make the, the entire banking system more scalable and um, uh, much less error prone. And I'm not saying that uh, I believe that banks will not use public blockchains, or at least will not use public blockchain, but maybe they will use an existing blockchain, uh, can, can be Polkadot, can could be Ethereum and so on, to as their base layer to run their interbank operations. That is fine. But uh, also, I believe uh, sometimes uh, there is the confusion that banks are, uh, or central banks are going to issue their stablecoins, so privately issued stablecoins will not have um, a future. And I believe that is um, actually incorrect. Uh, I believe that um, central banks will issue their stablecoins. They will issue their stablecoins to replace their currently outdated and, and terrible interbank settlement system using a private private blockchains and then uh, privately issued stablecoins instead will instead of receiving you no know, wires through ECH or Swift or uh, whatever banks where the centralized stablecoins are are banked will just receive funds through wires that are really settled through their the the private blockchains that we with uh, at which the banks are connected to so it's just a tra- different transport layer, but same thing. 
the idea that the central banks will issue directly on Ethereum or, or Omni or Polkadot is quite irrealistic. So um, it's just a change of, uh, of settlement layer, uh, while the, the scope of uh, privately issued uh, centralized stablecoins will be serve the public consumption, public blockchains. Yeah, so, so moving into like kind of this next level of like having a bunch of blockchains, you started on Omni, you deployed on Ethereum in 2019, um, but now there's a lot of new deployments coming out. So Polkadot, uh, Lightning Network on Bitcoin, Layer 2 networks on Ethereum, uh, maybe some other blockchains that I don't know about. How do you look at like your decisions about where you're going to deploy? And, and I guess specifically, and you mentioned at the beginning that like, you know, the security of Omni was tied to the security of Bitcoin. And now when you start talking about deploying on multiple layer ones, you know, these all have different security guarantees. And, and so how do you look at that in the context of your entire issuance across multiple blockchains? Sure. There are a few requirements to have Tether issued on a blockchain. So there is, um, of course, the security is the critical one. Um, so we look at the security in terms of uh, audits, of um, centralization with different nuances, because we are on also on blockchains that are more centralized than Bitcoin or Ethereum. Uh, we look at the tooling. So we want to make sure that the, the blockchain, the base layer of the blockchain and the asset issuance layer are both audited by multiple firms. We want to make sure that there is um, accessibility to multisigs. So the entire multisig, the, the entire issuance and redemption, freezing and freezing process has to be uh, handled by a multisig approach with a multisig approach. And uh, the signers should have access to hardware wallets. So these are the security components that we care about. Then the other aspect is the, the business side. So we want to make sure that the blockchain itself has uh, enough interest from the community, right? There is no point of doing all the research, all the effort, then no one will use, um, no one will use your stablecoin on that blockchain. So uh, the efforts that uh, a blockchain foundation does in terms of growth is one of the other really important factors. And of course, yes, uh, security and adoption are, are really the two important parts. Yeah. So how does interoperability fit into the roadmap? Because like, if you start to get Tether on all of these different blockchains, you kind of end up with a scenario where, where maybe somebody has Tether on blockchain A and they want to use it to do something on blockchain B, but they don't have Tether there. And so they might have to do this kind of like convoluted, you know, send it here, change it for this and then change it back to Tether, but on a different form and move it here. And like, so how, how can interoperability make a better user experience for people? And what are kind of like your design goals in like, or like the opportunities that you see in this uh, specific domain? That's a really good question. So uh, first of all, the reason, and this is again, another innovation that uh, other stable coins are trying to copy us uh, on. In 2018, uh, after we launched on Ethereum, we realized that, uh, uh, blockchains are a little bit, and I'm, I'm not sure if you are familiar with, but with uh, Linux distributions worse, right? So I, when I was uh, a kid, there was Gen2, there was Debian, Slackware, Red Hat, and so on. And you, know, you, you had these forums and everyone was, um, every, every uh, Linux distribution fund was hitting on it, uh, trolling the others, right? 
and uh, I was really liking um, Gento because you had you could compile everything, and I was uh, you know trolling uh, you know uh, some Slackware users, and um, that reminds me a lot of of blockchains where uh, you have um, different communities that uh, sometimes troll each other. We are seeing Bitcoiners with Ethereum uh, holders and vice versa. And um, uh, the, the connection there is that in, in the Linux distributions world, the, the common tooling was, or the common ecosystem was Linux kernel and the GNU ecosystem. And so we thought, okay, why we don't, why Tether shouldn't be the common stablecoin or the common asset across all the most popular blockchains. So all these communities will need the, the same tools. We need the same liquidity. We'll need the same access uh, to liquidity. And that was Tether. So Tether is actually in multiple forms, a common good across all the most popular blockchains. So this idea really made the success of Tether. We issued on um, uh, in Ethereum, on Tron. Tron has, at this moment, more or less $15 billion under, uh, in, uh, issued on Tron, right? And um, Ethereum has uh, more than 20. And um, we look forward to, um, to see uh, a lot of value from, from the current uh, blockchains flowing to Polkadot. Uh, because all, uh, the more there is adoption um, in terms of community growth in, on a specific blockchain, the more tethers will flow there because there just will be more liquidity, more usage, more genuine, more genuine interest. And um, you know, traders will want to use blockchain that will support also DeFi so they can easily withdraw from a centralized exchange and send mm, those tethers to, to a DeFi project or to another exchange that support deposit from you know, Polkadot, for example. But actually, if you think about it, exchanges are the perfect conversion venues for for tethers across multiple blockchains, Bitfinex is a good example. Uh, it, we support all the blockchains that uh, that Tether supports. So you can deposit uh, Tether on um, Ethereum, and you can uh, you will be able soon to withdraw Tether on Polkadot, or you can deposit Tether on Omni. You can withdraw Tether on Algorand, for example. So that also we have seen uh, OKX and Wobi and KuCoin supporting uh, recently uh, other blockchains like uh, Tron. I believe that I like Algorand and so on. They will uh, definitely support to other blockchains uh, because uh, Tether blockchains because it's is just it just makes sense. You give more freedom to your users, you will gain traction. You also will be able to save a lot in fees. Uh, imagine to have um, Tether on Polkadot that can be moved across trading venues and does not cost $100 that either is being paid by the trader or is being paid by the trading venue. So it's extremely annoying in this moment. And uh, we are processing thousands and thousands of transactions per day. So you can multiply, so you can quickly calculate the cost of, for either for um, the, uh, us as a trading venue or the cost of uh, to, that we have to apply to our traders that just want to withdraw their, their funds. So supporting multiple blockchains also will from the exchanges is makes the entire the entire entire infrastructure much more resilient. We have seen many times where a blockchain gets cloaked, a blockchain get becomes you know maybe there is an upgrade that creates a temporary issue in you know the consensus rule. So for some reason, so there the uh, there is no blocks will not get confirmed, and then you ha you can 
route the tra entire traffic to another blockchain. So supporting 34 blockchains by ex uh, Tether blockchains by the exchanges is just a normal thing, and we'll, we are seeing uh, more and more adoption on, in in in, um, in that sense. And uh, uh, there are also projects that are acting like uh, proxies. So they are basically just keeping a balance of uh, of tethers on multiple blockchains and they're just swapping one with another. So it, it's the more, given the liquidity of tether that is now 36 billion and is, is, uh, is, is growing by the day, it makes it easier for venues to keep balances in multiple, uh, supporting multiple blockchains and then swapping from one to another. Yeah, these are almost like what you're describing kind of sounds like these blockchains are different jurisdictions and the kind of like venue that's sitting in the middle to kind of like take, you know, a deposit in one and withdraw on another. It's almost like a transfer wise type of service where they have like bank accounts in multiple different jurisdictions and they just, you know, assume that the, the funds flowing one way are roughly equivalent to the funds flowing the other way. But it, it would be great to do that in a decentralized way also. And so like, as you've kind of alluded to, like Tether is going to be deploying on Polkadot. And can you talk a little bit about what motivated that specific decision and the opportunity and future you see for Tether on Polkadot? Yes, definitely. So um, given that Polkadot is an extremely well-known blockchain and um, has all the security requirements that we talk about, the other aspects, as uh, as discussed, is uh, the community potential and the growth potential. And Polkadot is uh, probably the most exciting project um, blockchain that came out in uh, um, after 2020. So we are seeing a lot of um, interest from Tether users and uh, Bitfinex users in Polkadot. So it, it just made sense, right? So Polkadot is. Um, uh, seeing a lot of adoption and interest from from DeFi projects, so the fact that uh, you have these parachains make uh, scalability almost intrinsic in the system, so you don't end up or you don't risk uh, to easily end up in a situation where to swap funds on a DEX uh, on Polkadot, uh, then the operation will cost one hundred dollars in fees. So you can issue context-wise uh, parachains, uh, you have par threads and so on. So it, it really makes things scalable uh, natively. So uh, I really like that. I like how the, the touch uh, has been made uh, by the, the Polkadot team. And uh, really is, is, is uh, just what people tell us. So if there is um, interest from our users, there is interest from us. So it's really important as um, you know, as CTO of Tether, to be able to listen to communities, to be able to judge objectively a blockchain by its merits. And um, so, yeah, I'm really pleased to announce that uh, Tether will be uh, on Polkadot as soon as uh, the the first parachain will be live. Yeah, that's actually a parachain that I've been a little bit involved in myself. So I'm I'm quite excited to see it launch. I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Paolo, is there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about or a, a place to direct people to, to look for more information? Um, I think that um, I have really to thank you for this nice chat. I, I, I like that it was uh, uh, quite technical, um, so not always happens. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and I really thank you for, for having me today here. Yeah, thank you for joining. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parody.io. 
Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter.